Bar Podcast Network presents A Guy, A Bride, and a Bible. Grab your Bible and your person. Mark, he's the guy. Andrea, she's the bride. Open up and read along. Hi. Hello, bride. This is a good day. Mm-hmm. Little, we're in our almost echo chamber of a living room. Because mm-hmm. we don't have much. We have hardwood floors and... Just some furniture? P- put some on the walls. I don't know. I need to do that. Hi. So, today is a good day for a few reasons. Number one, we're actually, like, really doing well with our recording and posting. I kind of mm-hmm. want to put that Getting up Getting back on track. Yep. Your new Bible is even kind of stoking us both with a little bit of uh, deep insights into the net Bible. Mm-hmm. Really good stuff there, uh, listeners. Um, but big news is that Grandma and Papa moved across the street. Pretty exciting. So our kiddos are lit. This is the first time in their lives Grandma and Papa aren't here for a visit. They're actually living here in Texas. Across the street. We're going to make it in a beautiful way. Generational living. Yep. It's God's way. And as our, uh, our, our church we've been attending most recently said, the nuclear family. I haven't heard that in so long. Yeah, we, we think we found a church. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's likely. A, it's very, it's likely. it makes me feel a lot more peace. Yep. And a lot of uh, turn in pages. A lot of intense um, sermons. All straight from scripture, chapter and verse, all the way down. Killing off a book and moving on to the next. Like we like it. Old Testament in Sunday school class for me. Ooh, so exciting. Love that. How you been? Um, A little tired, but good. Good. You're wearing a nice apron. I I don't know who I am. I don't either. Sitting here wearing an apron, letting the homemade pasta dry. Yes, Emily. But Emily tired. wanted to make homemade pasta and, for dinner. You know, I don't want to be a bad mom, so okay. So there's pasta being done. Even though I got a little frustrated, but it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Let's do this. We're gonna do it. We're gonna try to uh, get this before anybody runs in the house. We're alone. It's crazy. We're alone. We're gonna try to get this done before we get interrupted. But we love you guys. Are glad you're here with us. Thank you, uh, Dwayne, for that, that awesome intro as always. And um, I'm Mark. I'm the guy. We're going to get down to it and read this here Bible. We are reading Isaiah 27 through 28, mm-hmm. Luke 9, 28 through 62, and Job 6, 14 through 30. We're doing the uh, Connect the Testaments plan, and the title of it is probably my favorite title ever so far, Haunted by Leviathan. <laughs> I love that title. Okay. So let's pray and we'll get right into it, guys. Thank you, Father, for blessing us with your word. As we read it this time, we pray for an understanding we've not had before. We pray for quickness of our spirit with yours and those who are coming alongside of us to be part of this, Lord. We are in agreement with them that you would do amazing things during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Yeah, that was a little timer going off. Ignore the beeping in the background. We just like to have a musical track for our praying. Pretty much. Here we go. Look. It's chapter 24 of Isaiah. I'm sorry, 27 of Isaiah. What the heck? Here, dudes. Where are you? Oh, I don't know. 
went took me up to twenty four. Why is it going to twenty seven? Let's go. Come on. Today, while I'm young. There it is. Twenty seven. Twenty six. Twenty. I don't know what's going on. Here we go. Oh, twenty seven. Right. One. Israel rescued is the title. On that day, Yahweh will punish with his cruel, great, and strong sword, Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, and Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will kill the sea monster that is in the sea. Anything there from the net? Right um, off the bat? Yeah, so fleeing could also be translated slippery or slithering. Mm. And the description of Leviathan should be compared with the following excerpts from Ugartic mythologic texts. Mm-hmm. Was not the dragon um, sea monster or translated sea monster here vanquished and captured? I did destroy the wriggling serpent. The tyrant with seven heads. And for all that you smote Leviathan, the slippery serpent, and made the end of the wriggling serpent, the tyrant with seven heads. Mm -hmm. And in the Ugartic. You, Ugartic, Ugaritic, yeah, Ugaritic, mythological texts, mythological texts. Leviathan is a sea creature that symbolizes the destructive water of the sea and, in turn, the forces of chaos that threaten the established order. Isaiah here implies imagery from Canaanite mythology to Yahweh's eschatological, eschatological, eschatological victory over his enemies. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, the battle with the sea motif is applied to Yahweh's. Victories over the forces of chaos at creation and history. Yahweh's subjugation of the chaos waters is related to his kingship. Apocalyptic literature employs the imagery as well. The beasts of Daniel 7 emerge from the sea, while Revelation 13 speaks of a seven-headed beast coming from the sea. That was a lot. Sorry. It is Leviathan. It's the longest note for the whole thing. And Leviathan is actually uh, will be mentioned at the end of Job as well. So it's really cool that we're reading both of those during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. yeah, so we have the Ugaritic text, if it's fictitious or not. And we have God using it as, in terms of comparison for his strength because it was the most feared creature in all of known human history at this time. So it's really cool. I'll have other stuff to say later, I'm sure. Verse 2, on that day, a vineyard of beauty, sing in praise of it. I, Yahweh, am her keeper. I water it again and again. Lest one afflict harm on it, I guard it day and night. I have no wrath. Uh, Whatever gives me thorns and briars, I will step forth against in battle. I will set it on fire altogether, or let it grasp at my protection. Let it make peace with me. Peace let it make with me. Days are coming. Let Jacob take root. Israel will blossom and send out shoots. And they will fill the face of the world with fruit. Boy, that's a that's a poem. Did you get that? Or it's a rap. Days are coming. Let Jacob take root. Israel will blossom. And then we'll send out the shoot. And they will fill the face of the world with fruit. Mm, mm. I know. Verse 7. Does he strike him as he struck down those who struck him? Or is he killed as those who killed him were killed? By expelling her, by her sending away, you argue with her. He removed them with his strong wind in the day of the east wind. 
Therefore, by this, he will make atonement for the guilt of Jacob, and this will be all of the fruit of the removal of his sin. When he makes of all the stones of the altar like crushed stones of chalk, no poles of Asherah worship or incense altars will stand. For the fortified city is solitary, a settlement deserted and forsaken like the wilderness. The calf grazes there, lies down there, and destroys its branches. When its branches are dry, they are broken. Women are coming and setting light to it. For it is not a people of understanding. Therefore his maker will not have compassion on him, and his creator will not show him favor. And this will happen. On that day, Yahweh will thresh from the floodwaters of the Euphrates to the wadi of Egypt. And as for you, you will be gathered one by one, sons of Israel. And this shall happen. On that day, a great trumpet will be blown. And those who were lost in the land of Assyria will come, those who were scattered in the land of Egypt, and they will bow down to Yahweh on the holy mountain of Jerusalem. Anything for chapter 27 you want to point out? Um, I, there's a ton of things, but it's like the translation notes. I don't have like a study note. Okay. It's, I'm very confused. That's okay. Let me go through my notes a little more concise. Yeah. Um, so let me just pop this off real quick. I'll start with a vineyard of beauty, um, where God is keeper of a less pleasant vineyard. Isaiah five is another reference to this uh, verses one through seven talks of that vineyard. Verse 4, whatever gives me thorns and briars, I'll step forth against in battle. God's protection is so thorough that there are no longer any enemies coming against his vineyard. But he longs for some to show the extent of his protection. Come at me, bro. That's what God's saying. Compare chapter 10, verse 17, where Yahweh burns up the metaphorical thrones and briars of Assyria. Mm. They will fill the face of the world with fruit. Israel will be a blessing to the entire world at this time. Um, this goes back to Genesis 12, uh, 2 through 3, the promise to Abraham. Uh, verse 7, um, even though judgment was brought against Judah and Israel, the nation from, I'm sorry, the nation whom God used to punish them received a far worse fate. The east wind alludes to the east wind that brought the plague of locusts in Exodus 10, 13. The Asherah pole worship here, it says, full and total repentance is required for the guilt of Jacob to be atoned for. They must fully turn away from the adulterous practices that brought them under punishment. I think that's that definition is really light. It's We've not just idolatrous practice. Like, we didn't we hear about that? Where somewhere? it was basically an orgy. Right. Yeah. Was that at our Bible it's, study last yeah. week? Yeah. Yeah, where it sounds like this kind of innocent thing, but it was it was full really? on pagan worship. Um, it was so it, when kings would phallic. allow those to stay, because yeah. that that was what we we yeah. read that a lot. In yeah, the, we did. It's all over the Old Testament in the first Kings, second Kings. You didn't take down the Asherah pole, so that's where mm -hmm. they were allowing things that were totally against God's. Some God's people law. have claimed that even some Asherah poles were obelisks, because that's what's in Egypt, and the obelisk and the um, the Asherah poles are all phallic symbols. Yeah. So it was all about fertility and fertility rights and fertility pagan worship. Yeah. It's really naughty. Um, and it says here, poles of Asherah worship, wooden poles symbolizing the worship of the god Asherah. And that is from Exodus 34, 13. Um, if those of you want, I'm not going to read all that. There's a lot to that. Um, the incense, part of the temple worship as well as idol worship. So there's incense burning. Uh, let's see here. 
on that day, verse 12, the day of Yahweh imagery is used to point both to the coming day of judgment and the ultimate day of God's salvation. It's one and the same. Floodwaters of Euphrates, the judgment will extend from one end of the promised land to the other. You were gathered one by one. Uh, the remnant of God's chosen people are going to be saved one by one. On that day, the hope for restoration is projected into eschatological someday when all of God's people will be gathered again. While referencing to that day is the day of judgment, this is the day of salvation. And the great trumpet that has blown, the shofar blast, precedes destruction in Revelation 8. So there's a direct tie to, the, to Revelation here in Isaiah. Or Isaiah, um, Revelation back to Isaiah. Okay. okay, are we good? Okay, 28 verse, uh, let's see, a prophet's attention returns to the present crisis where Israel's rebellion against Assyria will soon result in, or perhaps has already resulted in, destruction and exile. Assyria conquered Samaria in 722 BC. Israel uses the exile of the northern... Isaiah. I'm sorry, thank you. Isaiah uses the exile of the northern kingdom to warn Judah to return to Yahweh before they suffer the same fate. Chapters 28 through 39 remains primarily focused on the historical situation of the late 8th century BC. In addition, this section marks the beginning of the six woes pronounced in chapters 28 through 33. All right, here we go. Ah, the garland of the pride of the drunkards of Ephraim and the withering flower of the glory of his beauty, which is in the head of the rich valley, ones overcome with wine. Look, the Lord has a mighty strong one, like a, like a rainstorm of hail, a windstorm of destruction, like a rainstorm of mighty overflowing waters, like a flood in Dallas. Uh, he will put them to the earth with his hand. The garland of the pride of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trampled by feet, and the withering flower of the glory of its beauty, which is at the head of the rich valley, will be like its early fig before summer which the one who sees it swallows while it is still in his hand. In that day, Yahweh of hosts will become a garland of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, and a spirit of justice to the one who sits over judgment, and strength to those who turn back the gate, back the battle at the gate. And these also stagger because of wine, and stagger because of strong drink. Priest and prophet stagger because of strong drink. They are confused because of wine. They stagger because of strong drink. They are in air in vision. They stagger in the rendering of a decision, for all the tables are full of disgusting vomit, with no place left. To whom will he teach knowledge? To whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from milk, those taken from the breast, for it is blah, blah, upon blah, 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 upon blah, blah. Meaningless gibberish, senseless babbling. Mine actually has blah, blah. No way. Yeah, look. And mine says a syllable here, a syllable there. Look, look. On verse 10. I thought you were being really facetious. I, I wish I thought this. Okay, up. so mine says meaningless gibberish, senseless babbling. Which is blah, blah, upon blah, 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 upon blah, blah. Oh. Gaga upon gaga, gaga upon gaga, a little here, a little there. Somebody had fun with that translation. Somebody had a blast with that translation. Are you kidding me? It says in this context, the Hebrew expressions saw, saw, and caw, caw are likely meant to sound like baby talk, but they could mean 
command upon command and rule upon rule. So, for he will speak with stammering and another tongue to his people, to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose. Yet they were not willing to hear, and to them the word of Yahweh will be a blah, 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 blah. Ga, 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 ga. Oh a little gosh. here and a little there. So that they may go and stumble backward and be broken and ensnared and captured. And you know I just found the title of this. Okay, mine says episode. they will fall on their backsides when they try to walk. I like yours better. And be in, in, injure, injured and snared and captured. But they'll fall on their butt. <laughs> they fell on their butt like skating. They were skating. Um, I actually have a note on my God, God, and blah, 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 blah. It says, in light of people's rejection, the message from God will now be communicated in words they cannot understand, reminiscent of the message given to Isaiah. Ooh, that's pretty deep. All right, verse 14. Therefore, hear the word of, of Yahweh, men of mockery, rulers of these people in Jerusalem, because you've said we've made a covenant with death, and we have made an agreement with Sheol. The overwhelming flood, when it passes through, will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge. We have hidden ourselves in falsehood. Therefore, the Lord Yahweh says this. Look, I am laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a founded foundation. And yours says it how? A precious cornerstone for the foundation. Which all this is pointing to. An approved stone. Boom, this is Jesus, the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. The one who trusts will not panic. I like that line. Mine says, the one who maintains his faith will not panic. And I will make justice the measuring line, and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. Waters will flood over the hiding place. And your covenant with death will be annulled. And your agreement with Sheol will not stand. You will become a trampling place for the overwhelming flood when it passes through. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through. In the day and in the night, and understanding the message will be only terror. For the bed is too short to stretch out on, and the covering is too narrow for wrapping oneself. For Yahweh will rise up as at Mount Perizim. He will rave as in the valley of Gibeon to do his deed his deed is strange, and to work his work, his work is alien. And now you must not scoff, and or your bonds will be strong. For I've heard from the Lord, Yahweh of hosts, complete destruction decreed upon all the land. Listen and hear my voice, listen attentively and hear my word. Is it all day that the plowman plows, opens to sow seed, harrows his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill? And sow cumin seed and plant wheat in planted rows, barley in an appointed place, spelt grain as its border. And his God instructs him about the, the prescription. He teaches him, for dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a wheel of a utility cart trolled or rolled over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Grain is crushed fine, and certainly one does not thresh it forever. And one drives the wheel of his cart, but his horses do not crush it. This also comes forth from Yahweh of hosts. He is wonderful in advice. He makes great wisdom. Oh, um, right. That's a lot in there and a lot of imagery. I just have one note that I thought was good. Yeah, go for it. Um, it's for way back in verse 13. 
when they fall on their backsides and they're injured and snared and captured, it says, when divine warnings and appeals become gibberish to the spiritually insensitive, they have no guidance and are doomed to destruction. Nice. I like that. I mean, it's sad, but... So we're at Luke 9, 28, my love. Okay. Y'all turning pages? Y'all should be nine, turning pages. What? Luke 9, 28. Through. Um, I'll get that in just a second. I skip past it. Hold on. 62. So the rest of nine. Yep. Okay. All of chapter nine, please. The Transfiguration. Good. Now, about eight days after these things, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and went up the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became very bright, a brilliant white. Then two men, Moses and Elijah, began talking with him. They appeared in glorious splendor and spoke about his departure that he was about to carry out at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those with him were quite sleepy, but as they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Then, as the men were starting to leave, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. As he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So they kept silent and told no one at that time anything of what they had seen, healing a boy with an unclean spirit. Now on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Then a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He's my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions and causes him to foam at the mouth. It hardly ever leaves him alone, torturing him severely. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. Jesus answered, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and endure you? Bring your son here. As the boy was approaching, the demon threw him to the ground and shook him with convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. Then they were all astonished at the mighty power of God. Another prediction of Jesus' suffering. But while the entire crowd was amazed at everything Jesus was doing, he said to his disciples, Take these words to heart, for the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hearts of men. But they did not understand this statement. Its meaning had been concealed from them so that they could not grasp it. Yet they were afraid to ask him about this statement concerning the greatest. Now an argument started among the disciples as to which of them might be the greatest. But when Jesus discerned their innermost thoughts, he took a child, had him stand by his side, and said to him, Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For the one who is least among you all is the one who is great. On the right side, Jesus answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not a disciple along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. Rejection in Samaria. Now when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead of him. As they went along, they entered a Samaritan village to make things ready in advance for him, but the villagers refused to welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Now when his disciples 
James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Challenging professed followers. As they were walking along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have dens, and the birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said to another, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. All right. Those are some hard things, you know. Yeah. They're always hard to hear, but I understand them better today than I have before. Jesus isn't being cruel, but he's definitely revealing um, the heart. You know, discipleship costs everything. What he was doing walking on earth cost him everything. And he Mm -hmm. doesn't expect his disciples to do any less. And he knew the hearts of these two people, too. Right. He knew that they were gonna they were gonna pull that trigger. But if you look at it, his twelve did leave everything. He walked right up to him and said, Follow me. Boom, they dropped their nets and ran. So we clearly see that there that was a standard protocol for Jesus of following him. Because they did. And not everybody could do that. They would choose their life before they'd choose life with Christ. That's a big deal. Anything over there? Um, well, there's one part that always kind of gets to me. I'm trying Uh-oh. to find. Um, when he says, like, the sky with the, the sun who's convulsing. Yeah, what verse are we in? Um, 40. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. And Jesus said, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how mm-hmm. much longer must I be with you and endure you? It sounds like... Very different from where he says, come to me and come like a child. I just kind of wanted to... Well, there's a reprimand there. Um, but he's, they're asking him for help. He's not yelling at the father. No, the kid. He's, there's no clear um, target. Most people historically think he's yelling at his disciples. Right, but I'm saying they're still they're trying. Like, what did they do wrong? So look at the the context here. We go down a few more verses, and we now they're like, wait, here's a guy who doesn't even walk with us. He's not part of this guild, and he's casting out in your name. And Jesus says, well, hey, if he's if he's not against us and he's for us, we're not going to stop him. And it's a lesson that the disciples are like. This Jesus is actually using that juxtaposition of here's a guy that not even walked with us, has enough faith to walk in my authority. He's not even part of you guys, and he's doing the stuff that you weren't doing. And some people say it wasn't the disciples that he was yelling at, but it was the the generation. Because this is, according to my little notes on the side here, this isn't another area where it's all Gentiles. These are. This is in the area of more Gentile um, work, not Jewish work. Okay. The note I have said, the pronouns you, where it says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how much, how much longer must I be with you and endure you? So you and you are plural, indicating Jesus is speaking to a group rather than an individual. Yeah. He's not young. He's a guy. So it's, yeah. Anyway, I just always have a hard time with 
understanding that. It's a letter. It's definitely reprimand. It's mm-hmm. not a condemnation. And he's in that he's also led them. No, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here. You guys have got to get this right. He wants them to be ready to do the job. Yep. That's how I've always taken it. I've always seen it that way. Anything okay. else? I, it just always cracks me up that, like, I think it is funny, like, so he says that, he rebukes them, and then this might have been at a much later time, but they're like, who's going to be the greatest, and should we call that fire from heaven? Yeah. So I wonder if part of it is that their heart, was he addressing their heart? Oh, he's always, always addressing But I'm saying with intention. that comment. Sure. You know, like, they're, maybe they're more focused. On themselves. Yeah. And on notoriety, I don't know. Like I said, it could be a much later time that this is said. Okay. All right, Joe. And then some suffering. Yeah, let's do the suffering. Let's do it. Oh, by the way, uh, I didn't hear back from Philip Yancey. I tagged him on our social. Phil. So. I've I've bought some of your books, man. He did not show up on the on the list, babe. Sorry. Maybe All he's right. reading the Bible with his wife. Oh, that would be epic, wouldn't it? While well, listening to He's us. busy reading the Bible. Getting busy wife. with the Bible. All right, we've got uh, chapter 6, verse 14 through 30. Starting off with our chesed. Or what we've got here is loving kindness or loyal love. Six. Six inches. If you don't know what he's talking about, he's talking about the, the movie Elf. I love that scene. Anybody ever says that I have to do the I have to do the yeah. scene. It's terrible. Six it's what? Habit. Inches. No, oh. six. Um six chapter six verse fourteen through thirty. I love that you're like, oh the quote from the movie? I'm on it. Fourteen through thirty. Disappointing right. friends, is that right? Pretty much. Is yeah. that that's the Here we go. Comment I have. Okay. All right. Loyal love, Hesed, should come from the afflicted. Come for the afflicted from his friend, even if he forsakes the fear of Shaddai. My companions are treacherous like a torrent bed. Like a steam bed of valleys, they flow away. I get the word wadis on here, by the way. So that Streams or steams? It says a seasonal stream that is often dry. Okay. So like a stream bed of wadis, they flow away, which are growing dark because of ice upon them. It will pile up snow. In time, they dry up. They disappear. When it's hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of their way wind around. They go up into the wasteland and they perish. This is friends he's talking about. Mm-hmm. This is like the With ultimate friends definition. friends like these. Yeah, this is the ultimate fair weather friend. Mm-hmm. The caravans of Tima looked. The traveling merchants of Sheba hoped for them. They're disappointed because they trusted. They came here and they're confounded. For now you have become such. You see terrors and you fear. Is it because I've said give to me or offer a bribe for me from your wealth? Or save me from my foe's hand? Or ransom me from the tyrant's hand? Teach me and I myself will be silent. And make me understand how I've gone astray. How painful are upright words. But what does your reproof reprove? Do I intend to reprove my words and consider the words of a desperate man as wind? Even over the orphan, you would cast the lot and you would bargain over your friend. 
Therefore be prepared. Turn to me, and I will surely not lie to your face. Please turn. Let no injustice happen. Indeed, turn. My righteousness is still intact. Is there injustice on my tongue, or can my palate not discern calamity? And that's that. Finishes off six right there. So I like... um, I don't know if it's sarcasm or culture. It's hard to use hard to really see this translation, but on my notes, they really spell out that Job is giving it to Eliphaz. Now, I don't know if you're seeing that in yours, but um, he talks about the loyal love, right? It says in verse 14, Job accuses his friends of forsaking God by removing their kindness for him. So they're actually, he's not saying um, you're forsaking me. You're actually forsaking God. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big step. Um, let's see here. And then over in, um, I like this. Job. You see, well, for, sorry, verse 21. You yeah, I was just about to say 21. You see a terror and are afraid. So like when when you're going through a hard time, you want somebody to like say, I've got you. I'm going to, you know, get your back. Yeah. Yeah. And instead this is like, uh Oh, this looks scary. I'm not going to go there with you. Right. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. 2021 together. I like this. What it says, um, merchants traveling across the desert would die if they counted on water sources that turned up dry. Job finds his friends disappointing and even dangerous in their assumptions about him. So he's paralleling, they're the dried up river. And not being there for um, nourishment could actually be dangerous to somebody who would depend on that. Job likens his friends in the desert st- in, to the desert streams, which were full in the winter and dry in the hot summers. When travelers needed them most, the streams were empty and unable to help. So he's saying, I'm like the merchant, you're a dry river, you give me nothing. Mm-hmm. That's huge. And it, like I said, the tone, is he being sarcastic or is he being like really stern? And my nature is sarcasm, so I'm kind of hearing it with a sarcastic tone. Actually, that's funny. The next note I have for verse 22, it says, for the next two verses, Job lashes out in sarcasm against his friends. Oh, so he does? Okay. If he had asked for clarity for their wealth, sorry, if he had asked for charity for their wealth, he might have expected their cold response. But all he wanted was sympathy and understanding. Yeah. That's a big deal. That's from H.H. H. Rowley, Job. Nice. Page 63. So it's like somebody wrote a book about it. Um, Job pleads for compassion from his friends in verse 29. The Hebrew term for please turn, it occurs here, is often used in context with repentance and turning away from sin. It's also used to describe God turning away from his anger. Please turn, let no injustice happen. Indeed, turn. My righteousness is still intact. So that's pretty cool. And on my tongue, Job declares his innocence. In wisdom literature, the tongue and lips are indicators of character. What comes out of a person's mouth is related to that person's wisdom and righteousness. So we got to see Job is wise. He's very well learned. He knows um, He knows Yahweh, clearly. And but he's got a little bit of bite, he's got a little bit of sass in there. That's pretty cool. I like sass. 
But like, well, you... I think <laughs> probably the way that I would think, because Job is upright. Yep. He's not self-righteous, right? Mm-hmm. Based on what we know about him from before this. Correct. So what I kind of hear him saying, too, is, um, like, he's, pro- he's probably been a, a good friend to these people. Yeah. So it's not, I mean, it's one thing if, if like, there are some people that are always like, you should just help me, just help me, you know. Yeah. I bet that Job's saying, like, you know, you you know, like, I, I, I would assume that this same friend has experienced Job's kindness when he's mm-hmm. had a hard time. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, your, your, your stream is dried up, you're like your stream of kindness, like you said, you know. Just that whole, I'm not even asking for anything, and you're giving me such grief. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just want you here to provide comfort, and you provide just accusations. So I just think, I think the application for us... Sure. ...is, like, we should look at this and think about how to respond when people come to us in distress. I don't think we would talk like that. But, I would hope not. But I don't want to um, make somebody feel that, like, that even greater sense of, like, feeling alone. and. Yeah, I don't want to be the um, the summer stream that's dried up. Yeah. I want to be or when country. you see terror, you don't want to be afraid. Right. I think that's a really good right. way to think about it. But nice. heaviest first, though, for sure. Yeah. You would gamble for the fatherless and auction off your friend. What verse that? A 27. So you would nice gamble for the fatherless and auction off your friend. Let's see here. Yeah, I said even over the orphan, you would cast the lot and you would bargain over your friend. So yeah, I like the way your says better. Oh my gosh, that's pretty intense. That's like, I'm I'm dropping the mic on you right there. Nice, babe. One note I have here is, he is saying that they are the kind of people who would ca- cast lots over the child of a debtor. Who, after the death of the father, would be sold to slavery? Mm, that's a deeper look into that. Because instead of being the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer for that orphan, if that's something he could be. They'd be like, oh, you... Uh, you're worth something to me. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I like my new Bible. Come on, net Bible. Yep. Happy stuff. Bible. Let's be better friends than... Eliphaz. Yeah, that's the simpler application. We want to be the merciful Hesed-style friends that God called us to be. Well, babe, we're done. I love you. We made it. I love you. Hey, Phil, it's not too late. Uh, Phil, yes, we don't have one Phil. That'd be Phil Bianzi. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We pray that as you read the Word of God, your life will be changed as ours is day to day. Glory to glory. Mercy to mercy. Grace to grace. Whatever. You know, there's a lot of verses. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I'm Mark. I'm a guy. I'm Andrew. I'm a bride. And we just got done reading the Bible. Bless you guys.